0: Welcome back to the show. Today we have Garish Ramachandra. He's the co-founder and CEO at Shoppolis. Garish, welcome to the show. Hey, Kevin. How are you? I'm, I'm very well. Yourself? Doing good. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show today. I think what you guys are doing at Shoppolis is actually really innovative and cool. But maybe before we get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up.
1: Sure. I grew up in Bangalore in India.
0: Okay, very cool. Uh, That's
1: where I live. Yeah, that's where I'm calling you today. And, you know, that's where I live right now.
0: Very cool. Okay, so you went to university. What did you take and why? Um, I did uh, a graduation in mechanical engineering. Okay, what got you passionate about that early on?
1: Well, you know, uh, science and math uh have been very interesting to me from a very young age okay. and uh, yeah and you know uh, mechanical engineering gives you a very good opportunity to uh, put uh, some of those theories into practice so it's purely uh, you know based on what i love to study at that point in time i did re- did not really think about anything beyond the studies at that point in time in terms of career or
0: opportunities so i had fun studying mechanical engineering yeah very cool. So you get out of school, walk us through your career up until coming up with the idea of ShopList, and then we'll get into that.
1: Sure. Um, so I got out of school and, uh, you know, as any mechanical engineer would want to get into, I got into the industry with one of the best companies in the space. You must be familiar with Bosch, a German company. Yeah. yeah. So I started my career there as a- Oh, interesting. uh, Yeah, as an engineer. And uh, a few months into that job, I got this opportunity to, you know, uh, interview with a software company- Okay. Called Infosys. Okay, very cool. So Infosys was relatively new at the time. And, you know, uh, the software industry in India was emerging and, uh, you know, uh, the- opportunity seemed very good simply because you know software is something that brings in the best of you know uh, your creative abilities as well as your analytical skills and uh, that's sure. what motivated me and of course they paid a lot more than what bosch was paying me that was nice too
0: nice <laughs> so i
1: so i joined infosys and uh, you know i worked there for quite a bit of time uh, about 15 plus years and uh, i was uh, fortunate to see uh, the company you know grow from uh, being a small sized software services company into a global powerhouse of consulting and technology and i contributed through the journey got a lot of opportunities to do a variety of different things okay and uh, very cool yeah and uh, through that process you know i also got the privilege of working with some of the largest and the most well- known brands in the world uh, and my area of focus of course uh, you know being technology uh, was about helping retailers and CPG brands use technology for success in their business uh, more specifically, you know I was working on helping build large-scale analytical uh, systems or large scale e-commerce transaction processing systems uh, examples include you know companies like Tesco or you know uh, target or Nordstrom, to name a few. Okay, cool. And uh, one of the things that you know I helped Infosys uh, think through and also you know get started on was the idea of starting a business around software as a service.
0: Okay, Infosys as
1: yeah, Infosys as you might be familiar is a large technology and consulting company. And uh, if you really look at the operating model of Infosys, you know just the way an Accenture or Any other large software services company would be, they are doing skills as a service, right? Their core ability is to kind of accomplish complex projects using very skilled workforce, right? right? In that kind of business model, I wanted to actually incubate a new model where we were going to actually build software to solve specific problems for our customers and offer it as a service on the cloud, which is traditional SaaS. Uh, this was a few years ago, so about uh, 12 years ago, and uh, okay. that's, that. At that top, at that point in time, you know, uh, it is it, SaaS was not as hot or as big as it is right now. And uh, sure, the co- the company gave me an opportunity, and you know, using that uh, to cut a long story short, in a matter of about five years, I helped build a business practice around software as a service, and in that journey i personally authored four patents commercialized wow. all of them and uh, you know built a business model that was actually quite scalable you know we had you know 63 customers you know we had a sizable revenue base that we had created and you know that was my journey at infosys and uh, the team that i worked with uh, we always were passionate about you know technology and how technology can shape the future of you know, how we engage with businesses, how we engage with each other and all of that. And uh, my co-founders, Mohan and Sajish, were very much part of my team uh, while we, we were doing all this. And during that time, you know, we had a lot of debates around why e-commerce, the way it is, is not necessarily built around consumers. Okay. And the logic for that thinking was: you know, in the physical world, you go to a store, meaning you have to drive to a store, then in a store you pick up a shopping cart and then you take all the things that you want, go to the cash register, check out, leave the cart behind and you go home. Yep. Now if you if you really look at e-commerce today, it is still a similar experience. The store is still the destination. You go to an Amazon or you go to a Target or a Walmart.com, you Add all the things you want in a shopping cart that that site provides and then you check out and you leave so the metaphor of physical world retail is replicated in online totally which is not yeah which is not a bad thing to begin with but today there are so many things that have changed since you know Jeff Bezos started Amazon in 94 95 today we have so many different platforms on which we spend our time, right? We could be on messaging, we could be on Instagram, we could be on Snap, we could be on Facebook. And in each of these different platforms, the number of times we discover products that we love are plenty. Yeah? Sure. I can give you an example. Sure. Uh, You know, you you could be scrolling through, you know, your newsfeed on Instagram, you saw some pictures from your friend who was recently on a holiday. And, you know, you see that You know, uh, your friend is wearing some really nice shades. So you want to comment saying that cool shades, buddy. And, you know, maybe if you're interested, you'll ask, where did you buy that or what brand? Yeah, that's a moment that inspires shopping. Sure. You, yeah, you discovered that product, not because you were in a store actively shopping, but you discovered that because you were just browsing around. Now, how can we create a model where those moments of discovery can instantly transform into moments of shopping interesting yeah because today the number of those moments actually resulting in shopping are quite less simply because you know the product discovery and the product purchase are two different silos to bring them closer requires a very different kind of thinking and a different kind of you know data organization and you know a variety of other technology elements that need to come together and these were ideas that we were pursuing where we said commerce has to be more shopper centered and a store should not be the destination the way it is today shopper should be the destination what that means is if i discover something on instagram i should be able to you know learn more about that product and be able to purchase that while i'm on instagram right So bring the store to me to expand or extend my current experience rather than expect me to leave my current experience and go to another one, which is in a store. Sure. So this, I'm guessing, sounds logical to you and anybody else. However, none of the large uh, players in e-commerce today or in the large media platforms are able to independently do this simply because they have a certain Model that works, and uh, for you to kind of you know invent a better model, you need to kind of disrupt yourself, right? Sure. And, and that is where you know we said there is a huge opportunity for okay. us to do that, and uh, that's when we started you know looking at variety of different ways in which you know you could accomplish this. You know how do you bring together information from multiple sources about products? How do you organize it in such a way that you know any application has access to that information? how do you create services that can allow any app to become a shopping app these are all the questions that we started to answer and uh, we said you know this is quite interesting and also if done well can be transformative right it can change the industry and this is the kind of stuff that we should be building as a startup and uh, my colleagues concurred and then we said hey let's go do this so that's how you know uh, we ended up coming together And, uh, you know, we left Infosys and we started Shoplist.
0: Got you. Okay. So how did you guys start the first version? Did you bootstrap it? Did you start as a side project? Did you raise some money? Walk us through the early days of getting version one built and and launched.
1: Sure. So the first
0: year, you know, was pretty much...
1: uh, as co-founders uh, you know with our laptops working from homes, and you know we did a lot of the initial architecture and design of individual components and you know we also coded that version ourselves so we, you know all of us being hands-on really helps uh, you know iterate through different uh, ideas very quickly and uh, sure. we also had the privilege of you know working with a couple of friendly e-commerce companies who believed in this idea and you know uh, wanted to play uh, play along and you know ex- uh, let us experiment so the first year so was all about you, you know s- yes, go, ahead. go ahead sorry
0: I'll, no keep going keep going sorry
1: the first year was all about you know um, building what we call as a minimum viable product that okay. gives us an opportunity to test the hypothesis that we started with test it at a meaningful scale and use that as a basis for us to understand if this idea has legs and if there are places where we were wrong and you know we need to take some course correction and also get a sense of customer demand for something like this so that is what we did in the first year and uh yeah go ahead you had a question
0: yeah so did you guys self-fund this then like how did you guys support yourself and then how did you land those customers that were willing to basically take a chance and, and be along for the ride in the early days?
1: Um, yes, uh, we self-funded this uh, activity. Uh, okay. We were very clear. You know, we did have a couple of you know angel investors who were interested in making an investment, but uh, we did not take that option at that point in time simply because we wanted to make sure that, you know, we achieve a certain level of, you know, uh, Clarity in terms of how this idea is going to evolve before we even bring in external stakeholders like investors. Yeah. Uh, you know, one is it gives you the freedom, right? And the second is mm-hmm. it also gives you the uh, you know uh, opportunity to really get a sense of what kind of investments do you need to scale this, right? So we did not sure. take any external funding. We did all of this on our own, and uh, we pitched it to a few you know uh, you know e-commerce sites, couple of you know. Uh, media slash publisher kind of uh, platforms, saying that this is the future. And uh, in principle, they all agreed. They all saw value in this. But uh, they were not quite sure how you know, easy it is going to be to build a system like this, number one. And second is, have the ability to integrate such a new system into their existing platform and ecosystems. Because they were not going to change their you know site, or they're not going to change their technology Because we are coming in right we had to coexist right. and you know we had to extend their existing system so they they said uh, you know as long as you guys are able to you know, prove it to us that this is going to actually work the way you are describing, we are willing to try this yeah so that's how uh, we kind of put together our initial uh, you know uh, customer stakeholders and uh, we went through this process and you know we actually could build at a reasonable you know a scale that gave us the confidence that this idea really can work, and uh, this idea is something that has global applicability, uh, because what we are doing, you know, be it on the digital media side or on the digital commerce side, uh, we are blessed with the fact that everywhere in the world it's the same kind of technology and standards and you know platforms. So that gives us global applicability, and we use that. Uh, to get a sense of you know how should we scale this how should we architect this on the cloud you know number of other factors, and once we got a sense of you know what kind of investments do we need to get started and you know perhaps what will we need to you know scale it, we started uh, talking to our uh, you know friendly angel investors who had earlier talked to us, and uh, they were quite happy to you know make an investment. Uh, we raised uh, about two hundred fifty thousand dollars as our initial you know investment from two angels, and awesome. uh, yeah. And a few months from then, uh, we got we started to get some interest from VCs that we talked to and uh, we eventually ended up raising uh, two million dollars from a fund called Kalari Capital.
0: Wow. Congrats. That's awesome. Thank you. S- so I'm curious because you guys have been around for a number of years now and some of the biggest brands on the planet are, are using Shoplist. How have you guys evolved the platform into what it is today? And how have you managed that roadmap? I'm assuming you've taken a bit of user and and customer feedback, but also what you see in the industry. Walk us through how the products evolved over the last seven-ish years.
1: Yeah, great question. Um, See, one of the things that uh, we, you know, looking back, we did well was uh, a clear articulation of the destination for this. We knew it's going to take okay. years, but you know, it did not deter us from having a top-level view of you know how we want to do this. Right. So right. that initial straw man of you know the roadmap was something that we had envisioned even you know at when we started the company. So that way the broad direction has not changed. So we still continue to you know, use our original direction. Right. Having said that, the specific implementations and the sequence of how we build it have actually you know, changed. So I'll give you an example. Sure. When we started out, our thought process was, hey, if we are going to build a platform that is all about giving an ability to activate commerce on any platform, yeah? Mm-hmm. Why? What we will do is you now we are going to actually organize the necessary data and information to accomplish something like that. And then offer a set of APIs as services that developers can use to activate commerce on, on their own application. Yeah? So I'll give you one example okay. for you to get a sense of what a developer is and how they're going to use it. OK, sure. So uh, let, you know, let's say you use an application like Strava. Do you use that? are you familiar with uh, yeah that? i yeah yeah i am yeah yeah strava is an a, app that is used by athletes worldwide and strava actually by virtue of you know uh, being an app that helps you track everything you do in your uh, for example running it knows what shoes you're on and you know how many miles have you run on it so far uh, you know what, what so it has a lot of knowledge about your context right yeah now if they were to actually you know uh recommend to you the next shoe that you're going to buy when it is time to replace it if they were to you know send a friendly reminder saying that you know, do you want to reorder the same shoes within the strava right. app yeah? yeah or would you like to consider these three alternatives okay so that becomes an extension of the athletes app and the context you agree yeah totally and now if I choose to buy one of the shoes that were recommended to me, what if I could add it to my own shopping cart, Girish's yeah? shopping cart, which is within the Strava app, and yep. be able to check out. And the actual transaction would happen on any site that is actually selling it. Yeah? It could be Nike.com. It could be something else. Sure. It doesn't matter to me because I'm able to do that checkout in a place where I got the motivation to make a purchase.
0: Sure. Well, and then Strava could actually probably send you whether it's Nike.com or Amazon or Walmart, if they had like the cheapest, whoever has the cheapest version, if it's on sale or something, right? Yeah, that's interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. So
1: to get all that information, Strava could talk to our APIs, yeah, to know what's on sale, to know where is it available to buy, to know what is the price right now, to know what are the other, you know, comparable shoes that I could recommend all these questions can be answered through our through our apis yeah got and you. in this yeah in this relationship strava becomes a developer and right. they're going to pay us a fee for using our apis got you yeah so that was the model that we thought we were going to monetize our platform yeah
0: Okay. Yeah. So
1: we, we said, you know, we are going to be an tech company and we're going to have these APIs, we'll manage them, we'll provision them, we'll keep it available, uptime, all of that good stuff. And we will have you know thousands, tens of thousands of independent developers who are going to you know, build their own interesting app extensions on shopping. They're going to consume our APIs and you know, we'll run a meter and we'll make some money. That was the initial idea of monetization.
0: Yeah? Right, yeah.
1: But uh, we quickly realized that to be able to build a large developer ecosystem that can give you revenue growth takes quite a bit of time and possibly more than the $2 million that we had raised. Fair. Because if you see even largest companies like Facebook or Google today don't find it easy to build developer ecosystems around new things that they're launching,
0: right? Yeah, 100%.
1: Yeah. So what we said was, okay. What other ways can we accomplish this? So what we did was we wore the hat of the developer and we said, what kind of applications will have the highest you know, scale? And uh, I'm cutting a long story short here. And we you know, realized that advertising has the highest scale. Because every brand out there, be it a Unilever, be it a Diageo, be it a L'Oreal, they're increasingly you know, shifting a lot of their advertising dollars to spend on digital media like Facebook or Google or Twitter or Snap. So each yeah. of these ads, each of these ads that they're sell, you know, serving every day, what if we can transform them into instant shopping experiences right. using our APIs? The same got APIs it. that we had built, we started using them and we call them shoppable ads.
0: Got you, okay.
1: And that is what really took off. And I know we got a lot of traction and we started out in uh, India, with a few brands who did the beta test and you know uh, initial test and learn with us, uh, I'll cut to the chase. In four years, we managed to scale that from a couple of brands in India to about at this time close to 500 brands in uh, 30 wow. countries.
0: Wow, that's awesome! Congrats, that's huge.
1: Thank you. Yeah, and uh, that that really also kind of you know underscores the fact that uh, there is a market for this. And uh, there is clear directional evolution of how commerce and advertising can work together to create new value. Sure.
0: So how has this discovery, e-commerce and kind of advertising melded together and does what Apple launched with their privacy settings, and I know Google's trying to do the same thing with the new version of Android, is that changing going to change your business model a bit, or or how you target people, or or how's that going to change or affect things?
1: Great question. These changes around privacy are actually making you know brands focus more and more on direct relationship with consumers and okay. having the opportunity to, and creating opportunities to work with first party data. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. Think, think of it like this. If you're an Amazon or a Netflix, when you use their platforms, you are giving them a lot of signals about what your interests are. Totally. And they're yeah, and they're getting that knowledge directly from your interaction with them. And hence they have the privilege of you know using the data to make the right recommendations to you, which you don't mind. Yep. Right now if every brand out there the largest brands you know be it loreal be it diageo if they had the same opportunity then it's a good thing right because brands yeah. now no longer have to depend on you know uh, other third party sources of data sometimes you know that third party sources may not be you know privacy compliant or you not know, consented data right yeah so but by these changes in privacy you know uh, terms that apple is doing or you know google and I'm going to do very soon. Brands are now sharpening their focus and now making first party data a priority. And that's where yeah. platforms like ours actually take center stage. Because our platform from day one has been built in such a way that brands can now create shopping experiences, which means they can interact with people in shop mode. And that interaction is directly with the brand and the consumer, and hence the data is first party. And that data can be used by brands to learn more about their consumers, learn more about their interests and behaviors, and also use that to ensure that their ads actually are well-timed, well-targeted, and also personalized, all within a privacy-friendly, consented data environment.
0: Interesting. Okay. So how does that play into your discovery cloud? Is that similar or different or, or walk us through that?
1: Yeah, the discovery commerce cloud is indeed what will help brands accomplish. You know, what I just said, uh, we call it discovery commerce for a reason. Uh, okay. The e-commerce, the e-commerce we know today, is what can broadly be called as destination commerce. Yeah, right. You you are on a shopping mission, so you go to Amazon, or Nike, or wherever you want to buy something. So, discovery commerce, on the other hand, is not about you know shopping being a destination. You can be doing anything. You could be listening to music, you could be watching videos, you could be just crawling on social media. If the moment demands an inspiration to buy, yeah. then discovery commerce kicks in, it, it, right? So if you, are, if you sure. end up discovering a product that you love as part of an activity that is not necessarily shopping, then how can you make that shopping friction-free? How can you make that discovery seamless is what our platform is all about. Got you.
0: Okay. So do you maybe want to give us a few examples of how a brand has leveraged your platform into a successful campaign so people can really understand how to go from day one to actually converting uh, sales for products that they sell?
1: Sure, sure. I'll give you you two or three examples so that you get an understanding of, you know, how the use cases could be very different from each other, but still achieve the same outcome of building brands and driving sales. Yeah. Sure. So uh, if you look at Diageo, they have uh, a site where you you could go and actually Uh, Answer a few questions, and it will recommend the right kind of whiskey for you. Okay. That that app, when it recommends the right kind of whiskey, it also shows a set of you know uh, brands within their portfolio that you could consider purchase. That entire activity of you know getting a consumer through a set of questions, using those responses to identify the right product recommendations, and surfacing those products in the interaction, and also giving them a choice to buy from a variety of retailers who have it available to sell and at the price point that you know, they're currently selling at. So this entire journey of someone trying to learn their whiskey taste or profile, you know, discovering the right products, and also finding the right place to buy them from, and making that purchase is now made entirely seamless. Using that platform. Very cool. Yeah, that's one example. Another example I can think of is you know uh, ST Lauder in India. Okay. Uh, they have a brand ambassador who's quite popular. Uh, she has millions of followers on Instagram. And okay. uh, what they did was working with that brand ambassador, uh, they created an experience where she was going to explain her beauty regimen how she makes choices of makeup. makeup, And that was like a toolkit where you know, my recommendations to you, and you know, we can answer a few questions, and I will tell you what I would pick. So that's the kind of narrative that they built. And through that process, they got a lot of people to you know, come answer a few questions about you know, uh, what kind of you know, uh, choices they make. And uh, using that, they could profile their interests and then recommend the right kind of makeup, right kind of you know, other uh, related products and create them an opportunity to buy stuff because they got inspired from a influencer that they follow so this is a good example of an influencer marketing use case that a branded where discovery and purchase were bundled within the influencer experience
0: right got you yeah. okay
1: yeah and the third one and it's important uh, i'll give a third which is more of an advertising kind of use case which is okay a search marketing use case yeah so when paid search as a you know, channel is used by brands, you know, let's say L'Oreal Paris. And if someone is looking for uh, you know specific questions like uh, trending lipstick colors, yeah? if somebody puts a query like that on Google, uh, that's certainly an opportunity for L'Oreal Paris lipsticks to show up in a sponsored ad. Yeah? Right. And when somebody taps that ad, we activate an instant storefront where it not only gives ideas about you know, what lipsticks are trending, you know, what is selling better, you know, what are people making choices. Very interesting content around that, plus an ability to you know, make purchases right there. So it not only answers the question that the user was having on Google Search, but it also leads that conversation seamlessly into commerce. Yeah? So that is a traditional paid search campaign made shoppable
0: using our platform. Interesting. Right. Well, and then I'm assuming you guys can update and follow the trends a lot quicker because you're getting data from a bunch of different sources. Is is that fair to say?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Many of our customers use our uh, knowledge graph. That's what we call the underlying database on products. Right. Okay. So they use our knowledge graph to learn more about you know, their Potential market share, uh, who they compete with, who are the newcomers that are trending up, what colors are working, you know, what uh, you know, new categories are emerging. All of those questions about the market is something that you know they can learn using our knowledge graph, and that becomes a very important planning input for them to you know design the right kind of campaigns, the right kind of messaging. Now, I'll give you a simple example. Okay. Um, there is this shampoo brand that we work with, which has a line of, you know, uh, shampoos which uh, don't contain any parabens and they don't contain any harmful, you know, chemicals similar to parabens. Yeah, right. Now, that is, you know, what the sh- shampoo brand has always been: no parabens and no sulfates has been their promise. But you know, their ad campaigns typically don't necessarily, you know, talk about that. They seem they were using other things like, you know silky hair and what have you. Yeah, right. We found yeah. we found that, you know, based on the number of searches that were happening on Google as well as on different e-commerce platforms, people were actually searching for paraben-free or sulfate-free. Yeah. So yeah. using that search trend from our knowledge graph, they decided to change some of their creatives as well as add copies to talk about sulfate-free, paraben-free as a highlight and also right. targeted The right users who are searching these questions with those kind of creatives, they could actually get the attention much better than ever before. So it was evidenced by a higher click-through rate, higher engagement rate, and also a higher sell-through rate. So using one signal about what people are looking for to tweak your creative copy as well as targeting is a great example of how you can put an insight into action.
0: Yeah. No that that makes a lot of sense, right? And especially for basically you're using data and what people are looking for to tailor your advertising campaign so your conversions can be a lot higher. That yeah, it's pretty simple, but it's cool that you guys do that. It's I guess it's a simple concept, it's hard to execute in your guys's back end and there's a lot of data and stuff coming in and um some of the kind of AI around some of that, or the machine learning around that, is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, uh, our platform uses uh, AI and extensive machine learning, and you know, a variety of different elements like distributed computing uh, to achieve what we do. You know, to give you a sense of the scale, uh, you know, our knowledge graph has information about more than 100 million products. Wow! And, yeah, and you know it. Uh, has available, availability in 30 countries. So if you're in Indonesia, you can actually you know, learn about products that are trending in Indonesia and what is selling you know, in different categories. And if you're in Canada, you can do what's happening in Canada. If you're in Germany, you can do the same thing. So uh, you can imagine you know, uh, what all goes into organizing information at that scale. Yeah? So there is plenty of, you know, we are a tech company sure. at heart and you know, data is something that uh, we organize at scale. Yeah? But uh, all of this is done towards an end. Yeah? The end is to help marketers do better with you know, how they engage with consumers digitally, how they drive you know, sales, how they build brands, and all of that. And to be able to do that, we need to really simplify how they get to use our application. Right? So yeah. uh, if you were to compare us with you know, legacy tools and technologies available to marketeers, they were not necessarily built for use by a marketeer. Typically, they needed, you know, somebody from IT, somebody from, you know, ad operations to help them. And, you know, marketeer is still good at marketing, but he needs a team to accomplish, sometimes even the simplest of things. Right. With, with our platform, we have brought together the essential elements of what a modern marketeer needs. Yeah, the ability to know what's happening in the market through insights, uh, the ability to understand their audiences through first party audience data management, the ability to automatically activate campaigns on any platform with two clicks using ads automation, the ability to craft beautiful experiences for consumers, and at all point in time, have an ability to understand how these things are working through performance management. All of this is brought together in a very marketer friendly way for the first time. And the proof of the pudding that this is easy to use is, customers who sign up with us can actively set up campaigns in less than an hour. Very and cool, if you that's to, awesome. Know, yeah, and if you were to compare this with, you know, uh, marketing automation or, you know, uh, experience management solutions that are already been there for a while, it typically takes, you know, weeks if not months to even install and get started. So compare that with one hour.
0: Sure. Well, you guys are leveling the playing field, right? You're basically giving a one-man team or a thousand-person team the same tools and resources that traditionally would take half a dozen people or more to execute, depending on the size and campaign and and then expertise and probably getting involved internal and maybe some external help just to get everything ready to go. Is that fair to say? Yeah,
1: absolutely. You know, we indeed are leveling the playing field. And in many ways, we are actually empowering marketeers with right. technology with technology that is accessible to them. Yeah. So yeah. in you know, one of the things that we promise is if you already are a good marketer, our platform helps you become a good digital marketer. Right. So okay. that's nope. that's actually a loaded statement because today the barrier between a good marketer and being a good digital marketer is a ton of tools, a lot of jargon, and plenty of teams. Now sure. we are leveling that into you know something super easy, super intuitive for them to use.
0: No, that that makes a lot of sense. But we're kind of coming to the end of the show, so how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself and shoplist?
1: Sure, uh, of course they can always visit our site. Uh, www.shopalis.com. Uh, there's a bunch of information that you can get there, and uh, that also has uh, an opportunity for you to you know schedule demos if uh, somebody is interested to actually you know see the platform in action. Perfect. So, yeah, that's the easiest way to get to us.
0: Perfect. Well, I really appreciate you taking time to be on the show. I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day.
1: Thank you Kevin pleasure talking to you today
0: thanks for having me on your show Of course thanks very much okay bye 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 Welcome to Building the Future hosted by Kevin Horick with millions of listeners a month Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups entrepreneurs investors CEOs and more the radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full show times past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com.